Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Ashley. I'm thankful you're here with me. I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's take a breath together. Thank you. How's your heart doing? It's good. It's feeling really nice and nourished in conversation with you. And we have an exceptionally rainy day here in Vancouver. (laughs) And rain for me somehow just seems to hold us. You know, we've been without rain for most of our summer. So it just feels nourishing to be in this and look outside and have a warm drink beside me. Nice, nice. What can you thank COVID for? Mm, there's so much there. I mean, I've been celebrating COVID since the introduction of it, really. Um, the day we learned that it was starting to penetrate, you know, our Northwestern hemisphere, um, I thought this is it. You know, we've been waiting a long time for something to really halt us in our tracks and have us reflect on what we are co-creating here, you know, through our actions and our thoughts and our words. What what are we creating here on earth? And um, I know myself, you know, I've contributed to this in such big ways, you know, where we've landed today and, um, you know, my indoctrination into capitalism and all those pieces that we're having to look at in its face, you know, right now. Um, and I find COVID has really given us a chance to understand whether what we've been doing is actually aligned with our innate way of being. Sure, it looks great on the outside. We're really good at making things shiny and pretty and finding all of the reasoning in the world to do the things that we do. And at the same time, for me personally, about six years back when my first son, my second son was born, sorry, I really felt that I was so off kilter in being able to connect authentically with this human that was before me. It really stopped me dead in my tracks. And I recognize now that COVID is that opportunity for so many people in the world to ask themselves whether what they're choosing in their day-to-day life is actually bringing them the fulfillment and the connection and um, yeah, the ability to grow that we are all here to experience. How do you support your mental health? Um, In a lot of ways, I would say first and foremost, it's in the slowing down. It's in the contemplation as to whether the things that I'm doing are actually supporting me and whether they're supporting the environment that I'm situated in. You know, are they supporting the people? Are they offering paths of connection between us? Because for me, relationship is really the foundation of any type of health, whether that's mental, whether that's emotional, physical, spiritual relationship is it. So that to me looks like a variety of things. It looks like the relationship with self. It looks like the relationship with other humans that coexist in our small collectives. It looks like our natural environment. Um, So it's really maintaining that relationship with all of those threads is consistently as I can, but also as much in flow as I can. You know, it's going to change day to day where I just have moments where I need to hold Ashley, you know, and be with myself and really understand what's happening within my physical feeling landscape. And there's other days where I just have to reach out and ask a friend to see me where I'm at and be reminded that 
yeah, I am love, despite the tension, despite the difficulty that I'm experiencing. And other days, like yesterday, I just trekked out to the forest and I ended up spending many more hours there than, well, I didn't really have a plan. And it was so beautiful because I came across this couple who was helping a friend locate a dog, you know, a young rescue dog that had gone missing. And had I had sort of a finite plan as as to how that day would go or how that relationship with Mother Earth needed to look, I wouldn't have come across this next layer of relationship, you know, that I had a chance to open up to seeing these beautifully generous spirits at 75 years old, you know, really helping their community. Um, so yeah, that's where my mental health starts is really in assessing how honest I'm being about the relationships that I'm in. I want to ask you about raising humanity and how that came to fruition. Yeah. So <laughs> I think like a lot of our life paths, you know, we, um, are just leaping from place to place, building in this, you know, the song that we're here to weave into our existence. And for me, having experienced the corporate world in depth, jumping to what my family had planted a seed in me of, which was, you know, the life of real estate, investing and developing and creating. And I always knew myself to be um, somebody who was inspired to take action. But I think again, until those children were born and I was forced to put a pause on the things I thought I was meant to take action towards, I didn't really truly understand what I was here for. And all of those years helped me mature into understanding more variety and perspective and values and the way we build relationships. And when I had these children, it really came clear to me that again, the intimacy that we can develop in relationship, that emotional connection that comes from being in relationship is really the foundation of our existence here. And I had been exposed to the spiritual path and personal development really early on in my life. Like it was a little bit unusual. My mom came to Canada and she felt quite fragmented from her birth family. And she started searching for means by which to connect with, you know, who she knew herself to be. So by eight years old, we were already on the path of transcendental meditation, all the things that we do here, you know, just to just to understand what it is beyond this body that we are. So I was sort of straddled between these two paths, you know, the spiritual essence of, of Hinduism is really just a way of life. It's like, it's nothing that we go out and do. It's just a part of our day-to-day -day existence. And then this personal development path seemed to be something that really, you know, conflicted me in feeling like, oh, there's more that I need to do other than just experience life as it is. <laughs> so I was between those two paths. And I think in having children, I really came to the recognition that it's all one. You know, this third way that's emerging is the the embodiment of what we know to be true in this physical form. So raising humanity was really born out of those life experiences all accumulated, you know, as it so happens. But the one um, the one specific point 
I think that really opened me up into not having this look like I assumed it would look, you know, that I would be a coach or that I would be in the healing world or that I would keep moving through therapy school. It was getting lost on a mountain. And that was the near death experience that I continue to recollect as it um, moves through me. I mean, the integration still hasn't fully happened and it may not fully happen in this lifetime. But what I recognized in that moment is that um, I really had a choice to live life in the way that I chose to. And for so long, I had used my culture and my patterns that I had adopted from my the systems that I'd lived in as an excuse. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but I had been sort of in the work of unraveling all of the conditioning for so many years prior to that. And I recognized, I think through the integration after the near death, how much I was still holding on to those stories. I mean, none of that existed. It was a faint recollection of what I had lived in and through. But after that experience, um, I really understood what it was like to open up to the universe speaking through you. And through that, Raising Humanity was born. And I can't tell you <laughs> how that process went over the next eight months because it was so radically wild and alivening and unpredictable. You know, getting up and writing at three in the morning all the way up until my kids would be up and then dropping into GoDaddy and saying, well, this is it. This is what you want me to do. <laughs> Raising humanity is what, but I just wanted to stay local and small and have my own time and take rest, you know. And just the notion of raising humanity felt like quite a large endeavor. And at the same time, what was really clear in that vision was that I wasn't here to steer the ship. I was just here to help navigate some of the energetics of it. But this was going to be a shared vision. And for the eyes that could see and the ears that could hear at that time, they were the ones that we were meant to call in. And from that came our parenting programs, which were quite, um, quite robust. You know, we saw tremendous transformation through those programs. But as of last year, we were called to involve children. So at the start of the pandemic, you know, hallelujah, we were asked to bring in children. And I thought, what? But we only do this on an adult-based, you know, lens. How do we do this? How do we bring children and parents into the same space? This hardly exists in our Western world. It's either intellectual or it's all play. And uh, we launched a forum then, and that's what catapulted us now into the playground, which we sort of exist in the framework of, which is a place for everyone to play, you know, and that includes non-parents, grown-ups who've touched that feminine energy, that motherly essence that exists within them. And they really want to help build the future of humanity in this capacity. Can we circle back to the near-death experience? Can you allow the listeners a sneak peek into what you experienced and what that looked like? Yeah, so a little bit of a, a bit of a disclaimer, which I touched on previously. I'm still learning what this translates into. Um, it's been a very difficult integration back into the body since that, because a lot of what I felt to be real prior to that is no longer real in my life. 
Yet I also understand the opportunity to connect to the human pain um, in, you know, in the vessel that I exist in now um, based on that, you know, relatability being the common thread. Like if I can't relate to your feelings through the empathy that I know we all hold for one another in our shared existence, then what the heck are we here for? You know, so I revisit those feelings often, but the one thing that comes clear, clear and clear for me is that a lot of the movement, you know, that I've been feeling over the years is not no longer on a personal level. I mean, much of my movement um, is sort of more specific to our collective movement. So what I feel is typically moving through the collective rather than the individuals in my ecosystem, even though it may show up there. So I think on a broader level, talking about near-death experiences, um, we can have that sort of experience and not fully open up to it. And that was my own experience within this greater experience was that for a lot of years, I kept really quiet about it because I didn't understand. And even though the mind wasn't quite involved in the early beginnings of raising humanity and post near death, um, I, I didn't know how to talk about it. How do you tell somebody that you've run yourself up a mountain and ended up on all of these trails that go nowhere and you were so irresponsible not to have emergency equipment? You didn't have a compass or a watch or a phone. You didn't have, you know, your water on you. You didn't have anything that would fuel your body through that. You didn't have company. And you ended up on your knee, knees surrendering to the universe. And the thought prior to that well, was, well, if I just either break into one of these homes, which are summer homes that are sort of on this island at the edge of this cliff, either if I do that just to get shelter or to get water, I mean, the whole island is on septic, so you never know if water is running through any of these homes either. But if I just break into that or if I jump off this cliff face, at least I'm in water and I've got this bright red shirt on, you know, I have my running shirt on, and perhaps a boater who's far off in the distance will see me. And that will tell me whether or not I was meant to stay. How do you explain to somebody that you were on the verge of suicidal, you know, um, action? You wanted to really take action on the belief that you weren't meant to be here anymore. How do you tell somebody that when you have a near perfect life on the outside? yet you're having this soul-crushing experience on the inside. None of those pieces really seem to fit with one another. You know, in our modern-day world where everything we tend to do is for our external existence. So I not only didn't have words, but I didn't have, you know, the psychological reasoning to get into conversation with people at that time. And as a result, I just spent a lot of time on my own trying to reason with, you know, what was next? So I chose to come back down. I chose to be in open conversation with source through that experience. And that choice had me really regard my human experience at a deeper level than I had ex ever experienced. So this isn't a joke. This isn't something that I can just throw away and kind of dance through mindlessly. 
No, the human experience is a big, big gift that I've been offered to now do something through and with. So those moments that I had in conversation with Source then, I mean, I'd been connecting quite regularly with Source and and the universe through a lot of the other modalities that I explored. But in those moments, what I recognized is that I crossed over and there was no end to me and no beginning of you. You know, it was all one. Like it was the experience of how we exist when we're in the ethers. And not being in the body form in those moments, I it was a state of timelessness, you know, like I don't I I, I can't explain how long it might have been. It could have been hours and it could have been days. But thereafter, when I came back into the physical form, I recognized like the sun was setting. So it was maybe, you know, a few hours that I was unconscious and laying on the ground there and then got myself back up. But there was a, you know, a presence of this timeless state that we sometimes find ourselves in when we're looking at the sunset, when we're, um, you know, gazing into a child's eyes you just get lost in the depth of what exists then. And, you know, nothing else seems to be real. And that was really the experience was when I was having this conversation, even though there were no words to it, it was just a conversation of a frequency, really. Um, what came through is that I can stay in this sort of soul existent, you know, immaterial realm if I choose to, or I can go back home or what I consider to be home in this lifetime. Um, and I'll go back with purpose and, you know, all will be well there because I'll have then the support, the knowing that I'm never alone. And I think that was the plague that I really felt to exist with all of the moments prior to that. I felt so alone in my existence. And how is it that we feel alone yet we're surrounded by so many people? And the reasoning that came out of that with time many months later is because we don't actually exist in the authentic connection down here on the ground that we're meant to. There's too many walls between you and I for me to feel that togetherness that we actually are in at all times. I was going through the motions of connecting with Mother Earth, but I wasn't really allowing her to hold me. And sure, we rely on our birth family to be those people who hold us and see us, but they're not always the ones who can give us that because they're in their own pain. They're unraveling their own trauma through their lifetimes, whether they know it or not. And I'm lucky for my family that had the awareness to know when things were up and things weren't right and they would speak to it and we would come together and, you know, the family had their own psychologist. And, you know, I'm not saying this from a place of shame anymore, but back then I, I felt it to be a place of why haven't we figured this out? Why don't we just have our stuff together like every other family seems to have? So at no point did my own family, other than my younger sister, who's a clinical psychologist, seem to really get me, you know? Why was Ashley always in conflict with her body and her inner experience? So if I can say those moments, whatever moments there I had where I crossed over, they really had me understand that every 
thought and behavior and action on this earth is a choice. And that is so overwhelming for a human that's in the body. That's walked into this lifetime with so many old stories and templates of their ancestry and everything that the collective has experienced until now. You know, you think, can I do that and be available to creating a different experience here for our future generations and also be present to the joy that's here? Like that in itself, living in that duality, being available to that dynamic existence just feels like too much. So that near-death experience really opened me up into, you know, this multitude of layers that we exist in at every moment. We are dancing across so many different timelines and we get to choose the timeline that we're on, but not in a way that we bypass the feelings and what's moving through the body at all times, you know, but I think I walked out of that experience feeling like there was this cloud of support underneath me and it just kept propelling me forward. And it launched me into a state of trust and surrender that I think is sometimes borderline dangerous in our world as it exists today. You know, it feels like at every corner we have to doubt the trust and the love that's already there. But that's what I started stepping into. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it pulled me out of a logical way of life that I'd been sort of stuck in. we are, you know, building, raising humanity on the premise of what I had experienced, but what I know to be a shared experience. I mean, the more people that step into this ecosystem, the more they recognize that it's simply just presence that grows and nurtures us. That's all we need. We don't need the grades and the testing and the levels and all of these ways that we built ourselves into these compartments. No way. We just need to be in enough safety with one another, which I know takes building containers. I know takes those who have gone through enough of their own layers to hold us. But beyond that, it's really just this recognition that, you know, this world of imagination is at our fingertips. And what are we choosing to do within that now? So you had both your children at that time? I had both my children. And how was that integration for them? Yeah. Um, what I can share early on is that I didn't experience anything but love because there were no boundaries, you know, between my existence and the other. And that can also be a slippery slope because, you know, it's very difficult to experience contrast when we're in that, in that zone and, and grow and learn from that place. But I think what it established for us is that we can coexist in this space and not be threatened by each other's experiences. I think that's what I was learning is that I can be here and you can have a completely different experience. And I, not that I remain unfazed about it. Of course, I have a responsibility as a mother. Of course, I have them from keeping out and running on the street or you know, putting their hand to the flame. 
But within that, there was such a deep trust in knowing that we were here together on purpose. And I think that allowed more of our individuality to grow within the space, ironically, and also find a point of sameness within our experience. Because the way I started seeing them was as nothing but love. I mean, of course, as I integrated more into the body, you know, there were more barriers between me and them that came up and more tension, which was readily welcome. But I remember, I can remember on this carpet that I'm actually, you know, speaking beside here, sharing beside, I remember just opening my arms up and I felt like we were dissolving into one another. It was the same experience that I had had when I had crossed over. And I thought, wow. This is truly available down here. And it wasn't in the same way that I experienced through all the retreats and through all, you know, the different modalities that I explored. I felt still there, there was some sort of separation between me and the other. But this sort of eliminated, not sort of, it completely eliminated any ability for me to recollect that separation consciousness that I'd been living through. There was no other for a good long period. But I do have to share that in those moments, even though things just seemed to work out, I didn't have a lot of practical function, it felt, in the world, you know, for how the world set up today. So that's something that I revisited, you know, years after that experience was, wow, I didn't seem to do much in that time as per the human metric system of success, yet everything felt to work itself out. You know, I didn't have a good handle on money. I didn't have a good handle on time. <laughs> I didn't have a good handle on any of the constructs that I had danced in, you know, I think that was 36 years prior. But it all seemed to work out. So it was almost like existing in our own nuclei for a moment of time. And I think what that seed planted, that ability to experience that, was that that's where we're headed, Ashley. We might not be here now as a collective, but that's where we're going. So that still lives within me. I, when I had my near-death experience seven years ago, it was really challenging to integrate back into, what do you mean we just cannot be open and, and play and then having a trust of really like the universe really ingrained into me. Like I have you. Mm -hmm. And every time I go like, what do you mean? And it's like, I have you. And I was like, okay, financial, that's the biggest one. You know that. And it's like, I have you. And every time my mind will spiral and it's like, and it's like, I keep telling you, I have you. It may not look <laughs> like the way you want it to look, yet I have you. It's like, I just don't know how to trust that because the world has told me it has to be me. I have to be independent. Right. And the choices that I made, I've been, you know, chastised or ridiculed or you shouldn't have or did it, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but I have you now. Mm -hmm. And when I can just... Not when I can, I'm, I'm mostly in that yet when I get pulled out because, you know, being a parent and raising mm -hmm. little humans, it's like, it's not even raising, guiding, you know, little humans and not wanting to conform them, not wanting to protect my fear, yet also understanding like 
there's parts of this secular world that you have to be a part of. Yet it was it's it's still challenging for me to relate to this world. Because mm. some ways where I'm I'm speaking and people are like, I wish people would be like you more often. Like you're just, and I'm like, they can be. It's just that there's an opening that you have to be willing to go into. And many are afraid to. Yes. And I'm also very compassionate towards the knowing from that experience that we're not all meant to in this lifetime. You know, perhaps the timing is just not there for the soul's evolution to encounter something like that. Like looking back, I may have stayed in therapy school. I may have continued on this personal development treadmill. You know, I may have continued seeking and searching and wanting something outside of me and doing that right until the end of my life without recognizing, like you said, that we're held. Somebody's got us. Something's got us. Something so expensive that we can't even put words to holds us here. But most of us don't come to that recognition until we're on our deathbed. So I'm really offering a lens of, if I can say, just gentleness with ourselves in knowing that we can't force our evolution. And I know that the entire construct of the Western personal development world is around pushing the timing because I want what I want now. And the beautiful thing is when I don't make you a problem and make you wrong, things are actually going pretty okay in life. They're actually probably going better than how they go once we've identified a slew of problems that you actually didn't even think were a problem. And now you're working, walking around the world asking for the validation of everybody around you to counter the feelings that you have about yourself. I'm not saying that that world wasn't necessary. I think it's done beautiful things. It's helped me in tremendous ways. I know how much it was a part of my mom's life as well. We do need that anchoring, but as you've spoken to and as our work speaks to, that ability just to simply, and not simply, it's very complex in our world today, but to pull into the moment of now and saying, I'm available for every part of this experience without anything getting between me and the experience, me and the feelings, me and the intellectualization of how this should go, it becomes everything it needs to. So I find a lot of people are being either born into this world or they've already existed in this world without having to do this big circle, you know? And those of us that have, if I can say, really graciously been holding the anchors of light on our planet we're also allowing for others to jump and skip into, oh, you're suddenly here now and you don't have to go through all that muck in order to get to where I feel, you know, I can sort of resonate at. And that's not the notion of hierarchy. It's just, again, relating back to all of us having very distinct roles and all of us just playing those roles full out. Yeah, passionately. You know, if you've been asked to be, a full-time caretaker of um, those who are more in need, you know, the disabled, then do that and do that a hundred percent. Exactly. That's all that's being asked from you. If you're a, you know, stewarding the land that we live on and have a breathing room, you know, dynamic relationship with, do that full out. If you've come into this world 
birthing and mothering a child and that's your calling, then do that full out. But I think to not give all of ourselves to the roles that we're here to play, yes, play, I think that's when the injustice comes alive within society. Yeah. Like you said, the muck. I think some people want to bypass the muck, yet the muck is what brings the vibrance. Mm. And without the muck, you're not really able to really comprehend the depths and understand the totality of things. Life needs contrast, no matter what. It, it, It just it's just the way it's built in. There's no working to get here. Mm. It's when you understand this expansionness and you, you go into it, you understand it's readily available all the time. It's just, we forget or we feel that we have to earn our way to get in there. Mm when it is just readily always here and available, we just forget that we're a part of it. We think that we're separate to it and we have to earn it. We have to get within it. We have to do something or we have to go through some kind of punishment to be able to finally be in this. And it's like, no, you can just drop in yet to be able to drop in you're probably going to have to release a lot of suppressed emotions that you've been holding into your nervous system because you've been inauthentic. You've been putting on the mass. Mm. And so that part, a lot of people don't want to feel that part. They don't. Because the payoff is so huge. I mean, if I act in this way and you validate me in this way, the payoff is tremendous. It is. And it keeps us going until the next spark and the next spark and the next spark. Right. And social media is just a representation of that emotional hunger, as we call it, being felt in that moment, but not having the longevity, mm-hmm. you know? But if we really want to accumulate um, the resilience within our systems, then we also need to do it from a truthful way. Exactly. Otherwise, for everything that we're adding, we're, it's also depleting us probably tenfold. You know, if I come to you and I offer you a meal because you're tired, you're hungry, you know, you're overworked, You've got kids, of course, that's somewhat a natural state in our current isolation as mothers. But let's say I bring that to you. And it's simply because I have the expectation that you'll then see me as a friend who belongs in your circle. I've not only amplified that energy within me now, but I've passed the buck on to you. Hey, share in my lack of uncertainty of who I am. The alternative might have been finding maybe a third party or another friend who was a little bit more filled up in their well at that time and saying, hey, I'm actually feeling really shitty right now. And I just am asking if you have a few moments to witness me later today or when you have a chance, because I could really use that. And then with that newfound authenticity, when it comes available, again, it might not happen that day or the next day or the next week, but when that comes alive, I come back to you and say, hey, I'm really filled up right now. And I'd love to offer you and your kids a meal that I've actually infused my own authentic love and desire for connection into. What a different experience that would be. And of course, that means a greater time lag. 
It means I can't show up for you each and every day. But what that also opens us up into is becoming more resourceful. No longer having these small nuclei that we exist within, but looking at the greater human family and saying, whoa, we need more of us with more hands on deck to make this work. Because I can't always show up. And I know when we began Raising Humanity, that was one of my asks to source. It was like, I can't hold this alone, nor am I going to. I refuse to hold this alone. So I had to find way, not find, it was an offering. How can we do this together? How can I let more people in, in their own unique ways to step in and support people when I can't show up? So I really appreciate the common threads that we, you know, that we dance in through this. And I think that a lot of humanity either seeks to dance with and in, or is already, you know, miles ahead of us, already carrying that torch yeah. to light the path. It's a really beautiful thing. You know, we just keep passing the torch on from one to the next, generation after generation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. allowing ourselves to be held and seen. Yeah, like you said, uh, the way I visualize how you were saying, um, you know, the different responsibilities and showing up, it's like the human body. You know, the heart has its role. The intestines have its role. And the two are significant. One cannot live without the other. And the two cannot coexist neither because it's too toxic, yet they still live in the whole body. And they all are a part of a community. So it really helps to, to show like, yes, unity doesn't mean that everybody is coexisting with each other. Because it's not possible because what you have and what that has, it can't mix together. It's not able to. It would be great, yet it it just, it doesn't function that way. And it doesn't mean it's a right or wrong. It's just, this is the way the ecosystem is. And this is the way we're able to play. And it's be in whatever responsibility and not use a comparison trap. Because a Mm -hmm. lot of us are in comparison traps. That's where we feel invalidated because we're looking at somebody else and wanting to be that because we think our life or our structure is insufficient, inadequate. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, wonderful school system built that into that comparison of grading and who is the honor roll and all that. So when you feel that it's having to have space for yourself and being like, oh, I see you. I get it. I, I understand it. It feels not to be away. And like you said, to reach out to others when Mm. you're not able to hold that space for yourself and you need that witnessing from somebody else to have that, that is a very important support system out there. That is, you know, it's developing more and more and people are understanding, oh, it's simply, I just need to listen to you. Yeah. Cause a lot of times what people don't realize when I'm opening up, I really don't want your advice. I really Mm. don't want you to try to fix me or change. I just want to be seen and heard. That's all. And a lot of people don't realize that's all I have to do. That's all. Yeah. We don't have to carry around such a weightedness, you know, that we do um, in believing that we need to be the cure or the savior for one another. You know, we, we do that so well in the parent child relationship and going back to what you just shared, I think the distinction between coexistence or interdependent and a meshment or codependency needs to be within our awareness. 
You know, this is something that we need to be acutely mindful of when we're in relationship. And I ask myself all the time is, where am I entering this relationship with an agenda? Where am I asking you to be something that you're not? And where am I even being untrue to myself when I enter this dynamic with you? Where am I over-functioning? Where am I over-giving? And where am I under-functioning for that matter? Where am I not showing up to my gifts and my unique attributes? And school, of course, as you so playfully illustrated, <laughs> doesn't do the job of celebrating our unique gifts and the song that the universe is already planted in us. You spoke to it before. We are already tied to the core of the universe. We don't need to prove or validate the reason for our existence other than to allow ourselves to sing that song that continues to mature through our life process. So I love the forgiveness and the gentleness and the conviction married with the fierceness, the totality, as you so beautifully pointed to, of our existence, I think is where we land as an organization, you know, in authentic parenting, is how can we just be true to the experience that's in front of us today? I'm just going to give a, a small example. Yeah, uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, I think it was yesterday. In my, one of the twins had asked for a snake as a pet when he was six and a half. I waited for <laughs> six months. He knows. He knows. Yeah. I waited for six months to see, you know, because sometimes the nostalgia of just wanting everything. And he was like, no, I'm determined. So got it at seven. Now we're going to fast forward to 11. He's not interested in this snake. I'm not interested in cleaning the cage and feeding the snake and everything else. And then for me, it's like, you mean, and then he'll be like, mom, I was seven. I was seven. I didn't understand what this was. <laughs> like I was seven. I like, made a commitment. I want you to understand what that mm -hmm. is of, of, you know, wanting a, another, like, it's not just a pet at your convenience. This is another mm -hmm. living life force that you have to nurture and care. And so and a big living life force. Like, yeah. You know, he's here, very, here. very gentle though. Uh, hasn't done anything to it, like never bitten us or anything. So in that I came to see like where it's, I was coming at it as, okay, well, this is your responsibility, da, da, da. And then it just clicked in me and it was like, okay, you see that frustration when you have it? I'm like, it's, it's normal. Mm. You know what? I have it sometimes. When you ask me to do certain things, that frustration comes up and I acknowledge it and I recognize, oh, something I feel don't want to do. Yet then I remember my responsibility and I have to see your needs. And this is something that you need. So I acknowledge my frustration and I also understand my responsibility. It's not one or the other. It's emerging them too. And it's not to be that, oh, just be all grateful and this and that. There are certain choices that we do with responsibilities that is, it's going to bring up frustration. You're going to mm. be annoyed. It, for me to say that I'm a parent and I never get annoyed, I never get frustrated would be mm. a lie. You feel it sometimes. Mm. Yet when mommy does that, does she not still resolve it within herself and continue on with you? And he's like, yeah. So the same way, I want to show you that way. I'm not going to tell you just, you know, be grateful. And this is a pet and 
no, I'm going to be honest about what my process as a parent is too. Mm. And be honest about that. Because we all have different emotions, but we always want this. Don't complain. Like when you're washing the dishes and they're nagging and everything else. And we're like, all just, but it's like, most times we don't want to wash the dishes and do all this stuff. So we're like, but we just have regulated through the decades of experiences that we can just focus and we know it needs to get done. They're Mm. just coming in, ushering into this part. And we have to, you know, be able to hold space for those emotions, for that discomfort of not understanding the longevity of things. Mm. And And trusting. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about what you've shared is there's a trust, there's an inherent trust that they can get the conversation that you're having. And I think so often as parents, we preclude our children from the conversations or we bring them in too quickly. And I think that timing of, you know, that timing and being in the right space of being honest is also something that we're learning as we attune more and slow down. Is this the right time to bring this in for the child? And I I just love the opportunity that we have in parenting, like what comes available for us is we recognize what it's like to be fully human, you know, and trust as well our divine nature. And you do such an exemplary job of that. And I really want to celebrate you because I know those moments in which I'm just bracing, you know, for the next shoe to drop. And I'm like, well, hell, it's going to drop anyways. You know what I mean? I live in a house with two young boys. It's going to drop. But that definition of what a shoe dropping looks like is rather I've stepped into more responsibility around the shoe dropping now looks like me denying their feelings in the moment and also denying my own feelings saying, let's just get on with life. Let's do it. Let's make it in a hurry and just have it be so. And I notice, you know, especially through the pandemic, as we've been at home a lot more together and they don't come home from school, you know, with their head down and feeling sort of unexpressed and disconnected. Um, I've noticed that when I'm just more gentle entering into the request of having my own need met as well in that space, saying, Mama's not the house cleaner. We all maintain this home because we all share this space, you know, despite there's a sign here, actually, that my little guy came up with. He's six years old now. He came up with and it had our responsibilities for the week. And it was mama cleaning. And I thought, this doesn't work for me. And we had a conversation around it. And I said, so you're telling me, Kyan, that I'm going to be responsible for all the cleaning in all of the home for all of the next week? And he goes, yeah, pretty much. I'm going to cut the vegetables and Chris is going to um, pour the water and set up the dinner table. And I was like, no, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> but I notice when it when I do have enough within me to become more playful about it and have just an ounce more patience, I keep my reserve so much more beautifully throughout the process. You know, I'm no longer in this tense state hovering over them, telling them to get it done on the clock, which we don't have again in our home. Um, But it's amazing. It is. They just need moments of connection within that to recognize that they matter. Yeah. Yeah. And And you also do too. Because at the parent, we think, oh, we're just supposed to absorb. And it's like, 
No, you have to also teach them about life skills and sharing space with other people. And I, I, like I said to the twins, I'm not your custodian. So the (laughs) way you were at school or the way you've seen other kids just dropping everything and, oh, well, the custodian will pick it up at the end of the day. Mm. No, 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 no. And I am not the only one that lives in here. Yet I, I can see the challenge where it's like, what is the big deal? Like, I can sit in this. And it's like, no, but I, I don't want to sit in this. And I don't want, but for them, they're like, what's the, pro-? and it's like, we need to find a common space because we're all living here. And I think for myself too, what I want to bring forth into the world is, is taking out the genders of cleaning and recognizing this is a personal thing. Mm. And also if within the household, if there, there's sometimes one person that really enjoys it, Mm. I am not one of those people. So when I have to take the (laughs) brunt of it, I'm like, I, I, I'm with you where I'm like, (laughs) and it's like, breathe, Matt, breathe. How am I going to communicate this? And like, and I'm I'm really catching into my inner language when I'm like, I want them to. And it's like, you're trying to force something. Right. You cannot want anybody to do anything or you are going to get stung. And it's like, mm-hmm. I want them. I want, nope, nope. Figure out what's inside you because you're not going to be able to communicate it properly to them. Mm-hmm. I don't always, you know, sometimes maybe I'll get a I'll, six out of 10 because there's still some flaws and slippery slopes. And it's acknowledging and coming back and saying, you know what? I was wrong for that. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how to communicate my frustrations and be able to deal with what I was going through inside. And I didn't communicate with that properly. And there was a lot of emotions that came out because even them now they're like, oh, mom's just frustrated. Just leave her alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And they don't take it on. That's a beautiful thing as well about taking responsibility of self and them having the opportunity for us not to overstep you know, so often we're doing more than our 50% yeah. and they have no room to expand within their own containers. Yeah. I think that's part of the responsibility is allowing them to dance in the tension and going back to what you said about that pause. It's like, that's where we have to start because without that pause, nobody's given enough space to finally breathe and ask what's up with me in the moment. What's really happening here and what's happening for you. And can I give you the space to actually be heard? And I find that children are so unaccustomed to this, especially in the schooling arena, because you have one teacher for every 15 or 20 or 25 children. So how is that child possibly going to get used to being heard unless they have the right answer that continues to propel the curriculum forward? And then they come home And more often than not, in our nuclear family arrangements here in the Western world, we're hovering over that child and we're doing more than our part. So there's kind of dealing with these polarities of saying, in no no spaces that I exist in, do I have enough room to breathe, but also have enough structure and guidance to feel safe within? And I think, you know, that magic place of having a few adults around, you know, seven, eight, ten children that's sort of how we existed in villages, you know, actually on average, there were 10 adults per child, but not every adult was engaged with a child at any given moment, you know? So I find for where we've gotten to now, children are sort of having this remembrance of, yes, the ancestry of, well, you used to play this role and I used to play this role and I can get it, get away with it in this lifetime. 
And sure as heck in our culture, it is so lived through and through, you know, coming from East Asia and or South Asia and feeling this gender role play that we're so, so, you know, committed to in our culture. I had to do a lot, even in the context of marriage, to break away from those responsibilities that I otherwise felt indebted to. And it wasn't a psychological thing. It lived in my body. You know, so I think also depending on our orientation, our cultural and familial and societal orientation of the small collective we've existed in, it can really create quite a jarring revelation as to how we're keeping on with the patterns, you know, that have lived in our lineages for eons. I'm going to ask you to reflect and bring your awareness back to when you were 18. And you're able to take this awareness and talk to your 18-year-old self. And you can only give yourself three words. What would those three words be? Don't run away. <laughs> that came out so quickly. Don't run away. Okay, I cheated once. Once uh, One nope. has an apostrophe. No, it's um, a word. Yeah, yeah, that would be it. Why? Spent most of my life running away from what I knew as the sensitive, um, heart-led human that I was as a child. You know, I knew myself to be quite empathic. I knew myself to care, and of course, that has you know another side to the coin where I took on a lot more than I needed to. But my entire life, I spent running away from the very thing that I wanted, which was safe, emotional connection and intimacy with the people that I cared about. And now, 40 years later, I feel myself in this arena, still continuing to ask myself how I open up to that more and more without losing myself in relationship. How can I exist within this without, again, overdoing or underdoing? really finding that third path, that middle way through this and recognizing that no part of this is by accident. No part of this isn't happening with great purpose and no part of this do I need to run away from. I'm capable of being with it all, handling it all, navigating through it all with flying colors. And I think back to what you had spoken about, that depth of the wells that we feel into through this lifetime as we make ourselves available to life. I recognize that that's where, you know, these gifts were, were, were hidden. You know, it's in the same haystack that this wounding and these gifts or these siddhis, you know, as, as the human designer Gene Key speaks about, um, coexist. Are we brave enough to start looking at it with open eyes and a really open heart and body and just say, teach me? What are you here for? What do you want me to know? And the 18-year-old self was zipping off to Montreal, other side of the country to go off to school so I could experience more of Ashley. You know, proximity does have a play in how deeply enmeshed we are in our patterning. That's without a doubt. I was close to my parents. I was close to the earth on which I, you know, the soil that I was born out of in this lifetime. 
a lot of it kept me tethered to what wasn't real for me. But within that, there were so many gifts. You know, there's so many gifts in my heritage, in the things my parents have traveled through, in my sibling dynamics, in my own ancestry, the dynamics, the rules, the values that have come through my lineage. There was so much there that I've only now circled back to. But I think I needed that distance at that time. It was ever so perfect to recognize what love and life and connection can feel like in a different context. Where can people find you? Yeah, so the easiest place is social media, because I think most of us who have a phone are now on social media. Um, On Instagram, we're Raising Humanity. On Facebook, even though we're not as present in conversation there, we're um, at Raising Humanity Village. So it's a more intimate village there that we had started many years ago. But the place to really find us, to be in intimate conversation with us and to actually um, feel the safety of honest connection that we, that we feel we're committed to, it's to jump onto our website, raisinghumanity.com. And from there, join our village. The playground of life is there. It's for everyone to explore, to contribute by way of your gifts in and through. You don't have to be a parent. This is really about raising future generations together while raising ourselves. So I'd really highly encourage that you jump to our website, um, look up the playground of life. And if you don't have the financial ability of 33 bucks a month to come in, just send us a note. You know, we're really here and committed to accessibility. We want everyone to come in who has, again, the eyes to see and the heart to feel into this shared vision. Is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, for me, it all comes down to trust. That is the thread that I hope every one of us carry forward in every experience that we have is trusting ourselves and our capacities in that moment, trusting the experience that's here, trusting the person or the thing or the lesson that may not be on the other side of that. But this trust can get us to places and spaces that we could not even imagine possible in this lifetime. And wherever you can touch trust in your life, whether it's your connection with the earth, whether it's recognizing that that friend who was sitting there with you actually wanted to be with you, whether it was that family member that feels to be miles apart from our heart and our soul, but they actually want to build a bridge to us. You know, whether it's that child that we've been gifted to reconnect with the play or the innocence or the creativity or the, you know, willingness to be in the mess, whatever part of that is showing up in your life today, just trust that that is there on purpose. And it's here to lift you up in ways that you could not even imagine. Had you not been open to it? Thank you, Ashley, for being here. This has been a very enriching, intimate, filling conversation for me. Thank you for everything that you're providing with raising humanity and how you're showing up in the world. So thank you for your gifts. Yeah, thank you for the shared space. It's beautiful and um, it's really supported by your own inner movement 
and your willingness to show up in that way on the outside. So thanks, Matt. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It has. Remember, be kind and soft with yourself. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate you and your time. If you found anything that was relevant, or perhaps there's somebody that you think can benefit from this podcast, please share it out. Help grow the community. Help grow Lift Oneself. You can find more information on our website at www.liftoneself.com. Until next time, be sure to be kind and soft with yourself. You matter.